Amen. Thank you, Cindy. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. I know you've already applauded for Cindy, but Cindy, thank you for always just doing such a good job, and what a great patriotic offertory this morning, so thank you. Also, last Sunday was her birthday. Happy late birthday. I told her happy birthday, but they sang happy birthday to me because my birthday was last Sunday, too. We got the same birthday. And uh, so everybody walked out. Everybody told me happy birthday. Nobody told you. Happy birthday. We'll try to remember for next year. The title of the message this week is Intercessory Prayer. So I want you to think about that a minute. I want you to think about your prayer life. Intercessory prayer, and specifically praying for others, not just for yourself, but praying for others. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think a minute. Are there, is there anybody you know of in your life that regularly prays for you? Because I think that's a great gift. If you're doing that for someone else, that, that's a gift. And occasionally it would be good to let them know you're praying for them. I have somebody that prays for me every Tuesday. I don't hear from him every week, but it amazes me quite often when I do hear from him, he tells me what he has prayed for. And it's because that's what God laid on his heart to pray, and it's what I needed him to pray for me for. And so what a great gift, intercessory prayer. And we see the prayer of the Apostle Paul here, and you have to recognize the the condition he was in when he wrote this. You would think the Apostle Paul had enough on his plate that he should have been asking, please pray for me. But you really never see Paul do that. He's always praying for the spiritual needs and the even physical needs of others. And so even from a prison cell, or, or perhaps under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, the Apostle Paul is praying for the people in Ephesus. And the other thought I want you to have this, this message, because this has been convicting me this week, is Paul prayed big prayers. So I want you to ask yourself the question, when you pray, how big are your prayers and your prayers are going to be big in proportion to how big God is. I think it was A.W. Tozier that said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So when you bow your heads to pray, if you're praying to a God that you know is huge and able to do awesome, incredible, God-sized things, then are you praying for those kind of things? And if your prayers are anemic, are you praying to a God who you think is anemic? Because he's not. He's all-powerful. Listen to the way Paul expresses it. And we, we covered the first part of the chapter last week, but look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, dash, in my translation, he takes a little break, and he's starting to pray for them, and he thought, wait a minute, i gotta, I got to make sure they understand some things. Because when he says, for this reason, he's referring back to what he's just taught in the second chapter. And then he picks right back up in verse 14, and that's where we'll start today. For this reason, so he's kind of, okay, he's got the parentheses out of the way. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to see, first of all, just the main point. Paul gets to it quickly. The main point of his prayer, but Paul says, for this reason, and you got to think, okay, for what reason? Well, what he just taught him at the end of chapter 2 is that the ground is level at the cross, that there's no distinction anymore between Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles don't have to become Jews. The Jews don't have to necessarily quit being a Jew, but they've come to faith in Christ. It's all about Jesus, his finished work at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it's finished, it was finished, and it was enough. You don't have to add anything to it. In fact, anything you do add to it becomes an enemy of the cross. So Paul said, for that reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what an incredible posture for the Apostle Paul, because that wasn't normal. When you read prayers of the Old Testament, typically they prayed standing up. Occasionally prayed standing, sitting down. But rarely would they kneel. And I think it shows the humility of the Apostle Paul, the earnestness of his prayer, in fact, if you go today to what's called the prayer wall in Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, you will see Orthodox Jews typically stand and they will rock back and forth in prayer. Occasionally you see them sitting. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be there, but they have the wall divided. There's the women's side and the men's side. And I've always thought about the women because when it starts raining, the men have a little tunnel they can duck in. And you can actually look at this online, and you'll see them in there when it's too cold or too bad weather. They, they get out of the weather. The women, I guess, go home. I'm not sure. Or maybe they just brave it out. But it's typically standing. Sometimes they do have chairs, sometimes sitting. I've been there a number of times. I've never seen anybody kneeling. And probably if you do somebody kneeling, it's probably a tourist. But Paul kneels before the Father. Paul kneels. I think a posture to simply show the earnestness of his prayer, but also the humility with which he is approaching God. And he says, I kneel before the Father. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. That's who Paul recognized. That's who he's talking to. And isn't it awesome to know, regardless, if you talk to anybody long enough, we've all got father wounds, whether it's that our father was absent or wasn't a good father. The Bible says in Psalms that, that God is a father to the fatherless. So we have a father. It's a father who loves us dearly, who's never too busy for us, never too, never absent. And so that's who Paul addresses. And we come to that father not in fear, not in dread. He's already talked about in chapter 2 that we can come before the throne boldly. Why? Because of Jesus. Hebrews, both chapter 4 and chapter 10, says that we come boldly because of the blood of Christ. Not because of our effort or our behavior, because we did everything right for a week, so we think, well, now I can talk to God. No, you come to God as a father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name so that. Okay? Here's the whole point of the prayer. He's going to unpack a little bit more, but really verse 16, he, he's asking God to grant them something. And he says, I want God, would you grant it according to the riches of your glory? Not out of your riches, but according to your riches. And the distinction is one we made earlier in the book of Ephesus when it says 
Grant it, Lord, according to your riches. It's like this. If you went to a millionaire and convinced them to give a, an endowment to a school that you were president of or you were a fundraiser for, and they said, Here, I'm writing you a check, and they put it in an envelope, and you get home, and you open it up, and it's a check for $50. That was a check out of their riches, but not according to their riches. If you open it up, and it's a check for $50,000, <laughs> that's more in line with their riches. And so when Paul says, ask God, God, would you grant according to your riches, who is he talking to? He's talking to God who owns it all. He's talking to God who's both all-powerful but also is owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe he needs to sell one for you. But Paul says, according to your riches, I'm praying. And he hasn't got to the, the request yet. He's just saying, God, would you grant this out of your riches? And the cool thing about it is you can never deplete the resources of God. So when you come to God in prayer, God's not dri dipping with a thimble out of a bucket. God's dipping out of an ocean of abundance to give to you, and you never deplete his resources. But here's what he's asking, that, that the Ephesians, and I think this prayer applies to us, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power. That should be the mark of every Christian. And I don't want you to raise your hand. I certainly don't want you to point at anybody. But I just wonder in the church today, how many people are walking in the power of God? And it's evident by prayer life. But Paul says, I'm praying they would be strengthened with your power, God. Again, limitless, abundant, through his spirit, who has now taken up residence in you. If you're a Christian, if you've come to faith in Christ, God has stepped out of heaven through the person of the Holy Spirit into your life. So you don't just have God doling out power to you. He is your power from within constantly as you allow him to flesh that out through your life. And it's interesting he says the inner man because that's really where the battle's fought, isn't it? The battle over sin, but even the battle over sharing the gospel and the battle over loving people the way God loves them. Do any of you struggle with that? <laughs> don't raise your hand and don't point at anybody. Yeah, we struggle at that. Why? Because none of that comes natural. And so Paul says, I'm praying they would be strengthened with the power of Almighty God through the Holy Spirit in their inner man. A theologian, Graham Scroge, said, in some, in some people, Christ is present. In others, he's prominent. But in others, he's preeminent. So I want to ask you, which one of those P's applies to you? If you're a child of God, he's certainly present. But as he moved beyond present to prominent, and our goal is he moves beyond prominent to preeminent. It's all about God. I want to read a prayer that blew me away when I read it this week. You talk about praying boldly. Martin Luther prayed a prayer in a good friend of his and his assistant, Friedrich Myconius, became sick and was expected to die within a short time. From his bed, he wrote a tender farewell letter to Luther. When Luther received the message, he immediately sent back, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Although Mycanius had already lost the ability to speak, 
when Luther's reply came, he, he recovered. He lived six more years and died two months after Martin Luther. That's a big prayer. That's a bold prayer. That's a prayer where you simply pray, God, I'm praying this is what's on my heart. This is what I'm asking you for. And God granted that. I think it's because Martin Luther knew how big God was. He was asking God for big things. So that's the main point of Paul's prayer. But then look at the petition. Look at it, kind of the nuts and bolts, a little more than that in verses 17 through 19. Again, he says, so that. Anytime you read that in Scripture, you kind of need to think, okay, he's made a point. And the point of this, what I'm asking for, is so that this would take place. And he asked four things in this few verses. He prayed, verse 16, so that verses 17, 18, and 19 could happen. So that, first, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul was praying for Christians so that Christ would dwell. And the word he uses for dwell is not a visit. This is to take up permanent residence. The context means more than visiting. It means to be at home there. And so I want to ask you a question. When Christ takes up residence in your life, is he comfortable there? Because if he's not comfortable because you are comfortable, he's going to start a work in your life that will make you uncomfortable. Because he is Lord. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord, and he will become Lord of your life. So is he comfortable? How many of you like traveling away from home? Howie's been here for seven days. I talked to him before the service. Their youth group's been here Sunday to Sunday. They're leaving this afternoon. Are you ready to get back home? You ready to sleep in your own bed? Y'all been here seven days? I know some of you are like, let's just stay. Well, you can't stay. You've got to leave. There's more people coming. How many of you want to stay? Okay, fill out an application, serve on staff. You can stay here all summer. How about that, Howie? But here's the deal. We all want, how many of you ready to get back home and sleep in your own bed? Okay, some of, some of them raise their hands twice. <laughs> I want to stay, but I want to, we want to bring our own bed here. How about that? So you know what it's like to be uncomfortable. You know, going and staying in somebody else's house, as nice as that is, as great as that is, you're just not totally comfortable. When my wife and I travel back to Macon, we stay at our in-laws' house. And it's gotten worse as they've gotten a little older. But they have a temperature setting on their thermostat that says Hades. You walk in, and it feels like you've been slapped in the face with, with heat. And you're like, how do people live like this? Fortunately, we stay in the basement, so it's a little cooler down there. But, you know, you'll, you'll say, Is it, isn't it a little hot to y'all? Oh, well, it feels good to us. Well, they're comfortable in that. So, okay, live there. I'm just I'm not homesick for hell. I would like for it to be a little cooler. So you're a little uncomfortable. For 10 years, I traveled full-time and did youth evangelism, and I, I took a particular worship leader out with me one time who I dearly love. We're friends to this day. In fact, he's sung in this chapel before. But it was one of the first times we'd been out on the road, and it, it was getting a little warm in our room that night, and so I got up and turned it down to the cool side. And about the time I was going back to sleep, I realized he was getting up, changing the temperature, and it was getting hot again. And we did that all night. I probably about four times got up, cut the temperature down. About four times he got up and turned it up. And I finally in the morning I said, were you not hot last night? He said, oh, I was burning up. I said, well, you were turning it the wrong way. You know, when you're doing it in the dark, you don't realize typically coal was left hot right. He was turning it thinking he was turning it to the cold. So that's what it means to be uncomfortable away from home. 
But we want God to be comfortable in our lives and allow him to be Lord where he's getting the stuff out that doesn't belong there. So that's what Paul is praying, first of all, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. In fact, John 14, verse 23 says, If anyone loves me and will keep my word and my father, my father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him promise of Jesus and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend so the second thing is he's praying they would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth length depth height and depth of God so he's praying that they would be first of all rooted and grounded in order to understand the love of God you've got to be rooted there which literally means like a tree that's been living there long enough has put down deep Roots, you are grounded like the foundation of a house. You don't fall into or out of agape. You hear people talk about, well, we, we fell out of love. Or I, I fell in love with this person. Why'd y'all separate? Well, because we fell out of love. That isn't agape. Agape is an intelligent love that means love unconditionally, love without strings attached. And so what Paul's praying for them is that that's the love they would be rooted in, they would be grounded in, and that they would be able to comprehend, literally to take hold of, to seize, possess. You've been strengthened so that you can hold on to what God's showing you about his love. That you would be able to comprehend with all the saints. I love that. Paul's writing to the church. He's saying, I would pray that this church would be able to grasp the love of God. And I want to tell you, one of the ways that happens is in worship. One of the blessings of being able to join together with other believers is to worship together. And I, and I watch people. I stand up here now, so I can't turn around and see you. But there's times I'm, I'm in a position at church where I can kind of watch and just see people during worship doing this. Either they're bored or they're just kind of unaffected, unattached. I was speaking of worship at a youth camp one time, and two girls walked up and said, we just don't get it. And I said, what do you mean? They said, it, it just seems awfully arrogant that God would want us to worship him. Wow. We're talking about God here. It's arrogant of you to think you don't worship God. And I just got to tell you, in this generation, if it's all about you, you're going to struggle worship with worship. You're not going to be rooted and grounded in worship if it's all about you. And so when you come to worship God, it's all about God. It's not all about you, but that's what makes public worship so important. And he's praying that they would understand the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. That just indicates the vastness of God. As Paul writes, he wants them to see just how huge God is. It's so high you can't get over it. It's so low or deep you can't get under it. It's so wide you can't go around it. It is the love of God. John 15, 13 Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's the love Jesus had for you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love. That's the agape from Yahweh that we have. And then the third thing he prays is that you would know that love of Christ. Love, to know, literally a knowledge gained by experience. The other was comprehend, something you grasp. This is something to know absolutely, a knowledge gained by experience, the love of Christ. 
And then he says this, which surpasses knowledge. Paul wants you to know something that's bigger than your capacity to know it. So what does that mean? He wants you to know it to the best you can, but the more you know about God, the more you see. And you realize, I didn't even get it a year ago. I didn't understand the love of God a year ago. But you understood it to the knowledge you had at that time. But it's bigger than that. It's a knowledge. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. And I love what the word surpasses means. It means throwing beyond the usual mark. That's the love that God had. And then the fourth thing he prayed is that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's what Paul is praying from prison for the church in Ephesus. And this letter would be read all over that region and ultimately now to us. This anointed, inspired word of God is telling us that God wants us to be full to all the fullness of God. Listen, you can know right doctrine and yet sin because you're not walking in the presence of God. I know a lot of people that have everything up here, but it isn't impacting their life. And Paul's praying that that wouldn't be the case with the Ephesians or you, that we'd be filled up with all the fullness of God. And then last, the praise of his prayer. And I just love the way he closes the last couple of verses. He's prayed the prayer, and now he's addressing God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. I want you to catch that word, so I want to do a little exercise this morning. Paul says, I'm praying to him who is able. I'm praying to him who is able to do. I'm praying to him who is able to do far more. I'm praying to him who is able to do far more abundantly. I'm praying to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. That's what Paul is praying on the behalf of the Ephesian Christians, that's what I believe God would have us to pray for you and ourselves, is that we would understand God is big. So i got to ask you, where does your ask come from? What Paul is asking from is he's asking of a huge God who's able to do more than you even think. That's how able God is. He's bigger and better than you think he is. What about you? How big is your ask of God? And what is your motive? James writes in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. God's a big God who wants us to ask, who comes to him. James also said that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So what are you asking God for today? He said, I'm to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. Then he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. To him be glory. May the shining light, may the spotlight be on God. Let me tell you something. We don't give God glory. We simply tell people about the glory that God has. There used to be a billboard in, in Merle Zimmer. Some of you have seen it. It's not there anymore. If you're the one that paid for it, I'm sorry. I'm about to make fun of it. The billboard said, God needs you. God doesn't need you. It's really better than that. God wants you. 
What would God need from you? You don't add anything to God because he's God. God is all glorious. So what do we do? We simply help display the glory of God. The glory of God should be displayed through you and should be displayed through the church. And the church in America needs to show the people outside the church just how good God is. And that would be to all generations forever and ever. Literally, eon and eon, age to age. It never stops. In fact, that's what's happening in heaven now in the picture we have in Revelation of the angels around the throne who never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One day we'll join with them in that chorus. The glory of God. There was a confession called the Westminster Confession. The shorter confession begins, the chief end of man. Anybody know that? Somebody say that out loud. The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and then it y'all dropped off. And enjoy him forever. Where's my campus outreach leader? Somebody say it really loud for me. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper put a little twit spin on it, and I like it. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Did you know, and I agree with that, that's not biblical, that's just a confession that came out of um, whatever year that was. <laughs> I didn't write it in my notes. But that's the chief end of man, I agree with that, is to glorify God and enjoy him or by enjoying him forever. And that's what Paul's praying for the church. All these things he's prayed is ultimately so that Christ would be glorified in the church forever and ever and ever and ever without end. The glory of God on display. And so we come to the so what of the message. This isn't on the screen, so you've got to pay attention. Three things. Three things I want you to leave here knowing or thinking today just about this passage. First is this, and really this backs up into what Paul's been teaching us in chapter 2. Three things I want you to know. First, that you are secure in God's love. Build your lives there. Let the roots go down deep. You don't have to question that. You don't have to waver in that. Know that you are secure in God's love. Number two, know the limitless dimensions of God's love. Know the limitless dimensions of God's love. The breadth. It reaches across races, ethnicities, Jew and Gentile. It's broad. The length, it's as long as eternity. The height, it's higher than the heavens. Depth, it's deeper than the sea where God cast your sins, according to Micah chapter 7. So know you're secure in God's love. Know the limitless dimensions of God's love. And last, know that this love surpasses knowledge. Know that God is bigger than you'll ever figure out. And the longer you walk with God, the, the more you see of his vastness. You should marvel at the fact that God's ways are higher than your ways. He's bigger than you, and he loves you. Let me ask you, does that ever just take your breath away? If it doesn't, you need to focus more on how big God is. And maybe that starts with recognizing just how little you are. The Bible says you're but a vapor. You're probably not going to be able to do this today. You're probably not going to be able to walk out today and you go, because it's blazing hot outside. But I want you to think back to last winter. 
Even at the beach, when you walk out on a cold day, that vapor that disappears quickly, that's your life. When you compare that to the vastness of God, that ought to just blow you away, that God loves you. And you really only demonstrate God's love to others when you grasp it yourself. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for that truth. God, our confession today is we don't get it. We really don't understand just how big your love is and just how able you are to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. God, our prayers at times are anemic because we've allowed our mind to go there to think that you're anemic. But you are all-powerful. You're omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. You are God Almighty. And you allow us to come to you. You don't cast us out of your presence, but you tell us to come boldly because of Christ. God, I pray that would blow us away today. And it would impact the way we live our lives and the way we pray to a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. God, I pray even if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that the vastness, the hugeness of that God would draw them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a closing chorus.